Well, you know what that music means. It's, yes, time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. this instance as we often do on the week magazine which noted that it was a good week a few weeks back for science fiction and though i'm not sure i agree with that assessment after ri kudan whose novel the tokyo tower of sympathy just won japan's prestigious akutagawa prize she revealed that five percent of the book was written by chat gpt an, unapolog- an unapologetic Kudan said she'll keep using AI to unleash my creativity. Well, I- I'm not sure that is her creativity. But I guess they're not making her give the prize back. On the other hand, it was a bad week for divine inspiration, notes the magazine, after Colorado-based pastor Eli Rigolato, charged with stealing $1.3 million from his Christian community through a cryptocurrency fraud scheme, said in an online video that he and his wife launched the scheme because, quote, the Lord told us to, unquote. Well, we here at Radio Parallax are skeptical about the Lord being an unindicted co-conspirator in this case. And it was an ugly week recently for civil liberties, and I love this story, with the news that an Oklahoma lawmaker wants to license journalists and subject them to drug tests. The Common Sense Freedom of the Press Control Act from, wouldn't you know it, GOP State Senator Nathan Dom, would also require journalists to have liability insurance and be trained in propaganda-free, that's in quotes, reporting. John Small, editor of the Johnson City Sentinel, called the bill a violation of the First Amendment. Gee, do you think? And went on to suggest that Dom may be a couple of McNuggets short of a Happy Meal. We have to speculate at this point, is there anything that's so crazy that you can't find a Republican that would endorse it? We're not sure. Speaking of Republicans, uh, they and their allies have been beating the drum for the supposed catastrophe taking place at our nation's southern border, and admittedly, there's, there's some problems down there. But if you turn into the likes of Fox News, which we don't, but occasionally I will visit people who have it on, You'll be treated to -to wall-to-wall coverage of this uh, ongoing crisis, crisis in quotes, down with our frontera with Mexico. Now, I was not really paying attention to this, but apparently Senate Republicans and Democrats have been working on finalizing what GOP Senator James Lankford, another guy from Oklahoma, has called by far the most conservative border security bill in four decades. I don't know much about this bill or its relative merits, but it is noted that House Speaker Mike Johnson has told GOP lawmakers that he won't accept any Senate deal because he wants to preserve the migrant crisis as an electoral weapon that Donald Trump can use against Joe Biden. Writing in Vanity Fair, Eric Lutz said, Johnson is in a bind. He says he supports aid for Ukraine and a historic immigration deal would cement his legislative legacy. But if he crosses Donald Trump, The same hardliners who ousted Kevin McCarthy as Speaker have the votes and willingness to take Johnson down as well. Anyway, I gotta say, I'm not the least bit surprised that Mike Johnson wants to preserve the migrant crisis as an electoral weapon because that's just 
the way the whole thing smells. And speaking of smells, did we address that issue of the odor that apparently surrounds Donald J. Trump, Mr. McMillan? I believe we mentioned it, but... Uh, yeah. Extent- apparently the former president is a bit ripe. Then this dates back to the era when he was on the TV show The Apprentice. And although we hate to stoop to what might be scurrilous journalism and repeat what has been said about the Donald that, well, the allegation by some sources alleged to be in the know is that he has for many decades now worn adult diapers and that during times of acute stress, he tends to, shall we say, unload. These same sources, which we do not know if they can be trusted and have our suspicions, but nevertheless, they have reported that part of the problem is due to the fact that Donald Trump has a drug problem and has had a drug problem for a long, long time. Now, if you checked out what has been coming out of the mouth of Donald Trump lately, and we hope you have, you will note that it's just, it's just crazy. You can see why Republicans want to, want to focus on a border crisis or on supposed uh, uh, the misdeeds of the Biden family, even, even when the FBI now has had to uh, indict its own source on some of that Biden malarkey over the fact that, well, he, he was lying. But let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Let, let's actually, Mr. Miller, let's take a minute or two and see if we can dig out a couple of the more sterling quotes that had come from the former president right now and, and let, let the audience be the judge of whether this, this is, this is um, the work of a sane man. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. For 20 years, he called me Donald. He can't call me Don. I have that with a lot of friends. They used to call me Donnie. They used to call me Don, DJ. Now they all call me president. I say, call me, loosen. I say, loosen up, loosen up. You've been my friend for 25 years. They want wind. But what happens if the wind doesn't blow? They don't know. You know, it's hard to store wind energy, right? You know that. So they want wind or they want solar. They want all things. It's not big enough to fire up your plants. It's not good. It's not consistent. He finishes a speech that takes about two and a half minutes because that's when his energy runs out, right? You know, energy. You know, he's got a lot of energy. What happened to that cocaine in the White House? Whatever happened. He's got a lot of energy, this guy. Judge and Gorin just find me. $355 million for doing everything right. 355. The actual bankers who were involved in the loan transactions that were talked about testified at the trial. They said the, that Donald Trump was a highly sought after whale. They called me a whale. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if they meant a whale from the standpoint of being a little heavy or a whale because I got a lot of money. But I think they meant the second. They've been doing this for seven years and we won 
Excuse me, we won twice, and now we're going to win a third time. We're going to win a third time. Clip. He'd come, he couldn't fill the circle. You know? Remember the eight circles? Good contractor, those circles are beautiful. I want to find out who is the contract. They were beautiful circles. But they had eight circles, and they had to put the fake news in those circles because they couldn't fill them up. And then I'd have 48, 50,000 people at these rallies. And I say, how the hell, why are we going to lose? And we ended up winning Michigan. Remember, that was that beautiful. That was that beautiful. And Wisconsin, we won Wisconsin, we won Pennsylvania, we won it all. It's no wonder Joe Biden and his thugs are so desperate to stop us. They know that we are the only ones who can stop them. They know that. You know, we did it in 2016. Remember that beautiful night in 2016? And in conclusion, from Marquette to Midland, from Grand Rapids to Detroit, we got to watch Detroit. We got to watch Detroit. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. They had such horrible abuse. You know, they had more ballots. Do you know this? They had more ballots than they had voters. Do you know that? Gee. And they didn't want to, you know, go into that. Mail-in voting is totally corrupt. Get that through your head. It has to be. The votes, I mean, it has to be. Anyway, there's a sampling of more recent choice uh, comments from the former president. But, you know, he's been on a roll. Let's look back a few months and see some of the other remarks that he's made in the relatively recent past. The New York Times in December decided to, to categorize uh, his recent statements into 11 categories, starting with the stakes, noting that Trump has used apocalyptic terms to describe the impact of the 2024 elections. Last September 15th, this election will decide whether America will be ruled by Marxist, fascist, and communist tyrants who want to smash our Judeo-Christian heritage. Second category, governance as revenge. We will root out the deep state and stop the weaponization of federal agencies because there's a weaponization like nobody's ever seen. We'll use every tool at our disposal. Third category was character attacks. Nancy Pelosi is a wicked witch whose husband's journey from hell starts and finishes with her. She's a sick and demented psycho and will someday live in hell. Fourth category was rhetoric of cataclysm. Last June, he said, our enemies are waging a war on faith and freedom, on science and religion, on history and tradition, on law and democracy, on God Almighty himself. They are waging war. Fifth category was references to violence. Trump is encouraging or excusing violence. Said Trump, we'll stand up to crazy Nancy Pelosi who ruined San Francisco. How's her husband doing, by the way? Anybody know? And she's against building a wall at our border, even though she has a wall around her house which obviously didn't do a very good job. Sixth category was immigration crackdown. Last November, he said, our southern border has been erased and our country's being invaded by millions and millions of unknown people. We're being poisoned. Then there's corrupt justice, which they broke into two categories. In part one, he was referencing the four criminal indictments against him. September, he said, crooked Joe Biden and his radical left thugs have weaponized law enforcement to arrest their leading opponent, by a lot leading on fake and phony charges. In the ninth category of the 2020 election, Trump continues to falsely accuse Democrats of rigging the election, saying, 
The radical left Democrats rigged the presidential election of 2020. We won the first one, and we won the second one even bigger. The 10th category was Trump making undemocratic comparisons to other countries, saying they're trying to arrest their political opponents. It's really very much like the old Soviet Union. And the 11th and final category, Trump has a lot of praise for autocrats, saying, among other things, President Xi, smart, top of his game. President Putin, smart, very smart people, said that last March. But, you know, last month, conservative jurist, judge, retired judge, J. Michael Ludig, a darling of conservative Republicans until uh, he's offended the fascist wing of the party. Anyway, Ludwig, who's the former judge on the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, told the justices last month in a friend-of-the-court brief, quote, Mr. Trump tried to prevent the newly elected President Biden from governing anywhere in the United States. The South Carolina secession prevented the newly elected President Lincoln from governing only in that state. Trump incited and therefore engaged in an armed insurrection against the Constitution's express and foundational mandates that require the peaceful transfer of executive power to a newly elected president, the brief said. In doing so, Mr. Trump disqualified himself under Section 3 of the Constitution. CNN noted that Ludwig has long been one of the most high-profile conservatives to argue that Trump engaged in an insurrection following his loss in 2020 and that he should be barred from holding office. The former judge played a critical role in the heated fight over the certification of the 2020 presidential election, providing in a series of tweets legal ammunition to help then-Vice President Mike Pence defy Trump's attempt to overturn the election. Turns out the brief in this case was submitted on behalf of several other notable lawyers, including conservative attorney George Conway, urges the Supreme Court to examine the issue through a textualist lens, meaning they would focus specifically on the words of the disputed constitutional provision. The brief said, because Section 3 emerged from the hallowed ground of the Civil War, this court must accord Section 3 its fair meaning, not a narrow construction. The brief also pushes back on Trump's argument that the 14th Amendment insurrectionist ban can only be enforced by Congress after 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 a candidate is elected. Anyway, we'll be speaking with uh, our favorite legal legal, Stephen Harper, on this subject very soon. In the meantime, we need a little bit of musical interlude, Mr. McMillan. Now, Edwin Starr took the position that war was good for absolutely nothing. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not strictly speaking true. War has always been an excellent way of gaining real estate, doing a bit of shopping, and in some cases profiting immensely from the entire process. Now, we like to take pot shots uh, at AI and, and, and big tech and Silicon Valley on this program because, frankly, it, it deserves everything we throw at them. And more. Yes. And I remember a couple years back, uh, yours truly was mouthing off as, as he likes to do. Really? Well, yeah. On the subject of uh, drones. People were talking about drones this and drones that and all the wonderful, wonderful, they could manage resources, you know, wind your watch, you know, repair your car, mow your lawn. I, there's just no end to the wonderful things drones could accomplish. 
And in this case, we're, I think we're referring mainly not to the, uh, the large aerial vehicles that look like airplanes that could flown around and drop bombs and monitor things, but these new high-tech drones, quadcopter sort of thing, sorts of things. I'm not an expert on these uh, devices, but I believe that they fly well because of microprocessing on board, which allows the rotors to stay in sync and, you know, do a lot of other things that would otherwise make it tough to fly a little toy like that. I long ago suspected there was a lot more to the story here, and I think that, you know, uh, the verdict is in now that, well, yeah, there, there always was, and there certainly is. We've got a piece here from, of all things, Time Magazine a source we don't often go to, and New Scientist, which is one of our regulars, on the subject of the million drone army that is currently flying around in Ukraine. In a technology article from New Scientist, David Hamling took a look at uh, what's going on in Ukraine and noted that in 2024, the country's armed forces will have a million drones. And Ukraine has already deployed hundreds of thousands of mainly smaller drones, And one thing's for sure, this technology has already transformed the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Peace quotes Samuel Bendet, who's an advisor to the Center for a New American Security Think Tank, and we're not sure what their ideology is, but he was quoted as saying, at this point in Ukraine, anything that moves, a soldier or vehicle, can be identified, tracked, and ultimately hit with a drone. This is a major change from previous conflicts even a few years ago. Small drones, many of them quadcopters that are available to consumers, have played a key role. For not long after Russia invaded in February of 2022, Ukraine has used such models as scouts to direct artillery fire and to drop small grenades. They're often known as Mavics, after the Mavic drone made by the Chinese firm DGI. Russian soldiers soon copy these tactics. The piece notes that uh, the use of this technology accelerated in late 2022 with the introduction of first-person view, FPV, racing quadcopters repurposed as guided missiles. Their powerful motors mean they can carry an anti-tank warhead 20 kilometers to destroy tanks, artillery, and other targets. FPVs can chase down speeding trucks, enter buildings and bunkers through windows and doorways, or dive into trenches and they've been built in large numbers. The piece quotes a volunteer in the wars, noting that over 50% of the equipment and personnel are destroyed by drones, and the other 50% are destroyed with the assistance from drones. The volunteer they're quoting here came from United24, a fundraising initiative set up by Zelensky that is helped by the devices. The piece also talks about how it is they uh, could could jam these drones, and at first that there's been an escalation of that battlefield, as it were. They noted that one response to jamming is to make the drones more autonomous so they can navigate and carry out attacks without continuous control. Notes the piece, the operator just indicates a target, and the drone does the rest. They note these systems are often using artificial intelligence and are currently quite brittle and prone to failure. Nevertheless, a key factor in the rise of drones has been the fast speed at which new ones can be deployed and how a $400 FPV can be fielded in much larger numbers than a $200,000 Javelin anti-tank missile. Anyway, in the 10 minutes we have left, I want to devote a few of those minutes, at least, to the Time Magazine article titled 
How tech giants turn Ukraine into an AI war lab. Now, for the last couple of years, we've at least on occasion mentioned Palantir, which is the company funded and I think controlled by uh, Peter Thiel of Silicon Valley, which has in a very hush-hush fashion managed to um, sell itself and its technology to um, quite a few war efforts. And in this case, Ukraine, which definitely got on board. The Time article refers uh, to Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir Technologies, crossing over uh, into Ukraine in June of 2020 and explaining to Zelensky and others uh, how it was their technology could change the face of the war and give them a huge edge. And um, suffice it to say that they got on board, and apparently it has. Noted Time Named after the mystical seeing stones in the Lord of the Rings, Palantir sells the same aura of omniscience. Seeded in part by an investment from the CIA's venture capital arm. (laughs) And did you know that the CIA had a venture capital arm? I didn't. I didn't either. It built its business providing data analytics software to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, the FBI, the Department of Defense, and a host of Foreign intelligence agencies. And what could go wrong there? They quoted Jacob Helberg, described as a national security expert, as saying they are the AI arms dealers of the 21st century. A friend of mine from Eastern Europe told me that he had read that the casualties in Ukraine were now approaching a million. And I have not researched this, but it's certainly easy to believe that uh, an equal number of Russians and Ukrainians may have died by now and it's bound to be a very bloody, terrible total. He said, and I think he knew what he was talking about, that, that in Ukraine, the ethnicity breaks down about 50-50 between Russians and Ukrainians. It was his prediction that when this is all over, Ukraine will be carved into two and that a substantial portion of it will be ceded to Russia and the rest of it will hopefully remain as a rump version of Ukraine. I sure wouldn't want to predict, and I think that's all I'm going to say in the subject for now. Ms. Vermillion tells me we have about six minutes left, so I think I'm going to jump out of politics, which I've always loathed in a way, and move into science, which I've always liked. I have four articles in me, which we can do in a lightning round, I think. The first comes from our uh, aforementioned at the top of the show um, uh, archival materials. In this case, I found in a file a piece from uh, Scientific American in January of 2011, which somehow never made it on the show until now. (laughs) It was titled, under the category Evolution, Dawn of the Deed. The article by John Long had the subheadline, Fish Fossils Push Back the Origin of Copulation in Backbone Animals and Suggest It Was a Key Turning Point in Our Evolution. I knew it! To make a long story short, uh, this, aus- this, this look at fossils from the Devonian period was uh, focused on fish that are called placoderms. These were very primitive early fish that had uh, plate-like uh, scales on the outside of their body. The author of the piece had found fossils of these fish that contained embryos inside of them, showing that they were giving live births which previously the record for the earliest uh, live births was in sharks. This pushed the time frame back a bit historically. 
And more importantly, it had what were called clasper devices in the rear, which evidently allowed the male fish to grab a hold of the female fish and, yes, copulate. I do have to grab one choice quote from the piece. My collaborators and I began to contemplate how the emergence of copulation as a reproductive strategy might have affected subsequent vertebrate evolution. From anatomic comparisons made by others and us, we already suspected that the hind limbs and genitalia of the tetrapods evolved from the pelvic girdle, including the claspers of early fishes. So my God, these fish really were pioneers. They were developing uh, the tools for copulation and, uh, and, well, legs. Now you know the rest of the story. And uh, I'm, I'm not a plant pathologist, and I don't play one on TV. And frankly, we rarely stray into that area here on the program. <laughs> But one piece I found in the files that really struck me as odd was something I've been hanging on to for, I don't know, I think almost 40 years. It was an article from Science Magazine. In fact, this was Science 81. So this piece has been hanging around uh, in the file somewhere for 43 years and counting. The title was Viroids Among Us. And it was an article about how these little genetic entities, thousands of times smaller than a virus containing only a few genes, can hijack the metabolism of major crop plants. The article speculated decades ago that viroids have probably always existed in nature, but the specialized intense conditions of modern farming has allowed them to spread. Today's farmers cultivate ever larger fields devoted to a single genetically uniform variety of crop, and the effects of viroids range from a nuisance to economic disaster. Apparently a viroid disease nearly wiped out the chrysanthemum industry in the U.S., back in the 50s, and another one killed more than 20 million coconut palms on Philippine plantations. What got me wondering was why it is in the past few decades I haven't heard more about viroids. They just haven't made the news much. Well, wouldn't you know it, I thought that one day and the next day came New Science Magazine with an article titled, New Virus-Like Replicator Discovered. To quote from the piece, a previously unknown type of replicating agent far smaller and simpler than a virus has been found in the human gut. These entities have been called obelisks by their discoverers. The article notes that obelisks are most similar to another kind of microscopic infectious agent called viroids. Noting that unlike viruses, viroids lack an outer layer of protein. Each one is just a circular strand of RNA. They're so small they were only discovered in the 1970s. So, things of this nature not only attack plants, they're inside our own guts. When we have more information, we'll share it. And speaking of guts, our final item of the day is this. Recent research has shown that your appendix is not, in fact, useless. Now, some might argue that appendixes have kept a lot of surgeons rolling in dough for many a decade. And I would also add that this spoils my joke, that as a medical student, I did do some research trying to develop the artificial appendix. But the story here is that like the tonsil, which people used to take out because they didn't know what they did, your appendix has a purpose besides sometimes getting infected and killing you unless the surgeon takes them out. To summarize very concisely, but note that the researchers have discovered that the first function of the appendix is supporting the immune system. 
has a high concentration of immune tissue, so it's acting to help the immune system fight any bad things in the gut. The second function is that it serves as a kind of safe house. It's been suspected for many years that the appendix may serve as a safe reservoir for beneficial gut bacteria when the gut is otherwise under siege. So, noted NPR, the appendix is kind of helping us in two ways, both within the gut. It's helping to fight off invading pathogens and also to repopulate the gut with beneficial bacteria after GI issues. That does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan, who coincidentally also retains his appendix, as does your faithful correspondent, Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax, and we're going to have some fresh material for you next week. We'll see you then.